Dean in North Carolina. And I'm Emily in a pool in Los Angeles. <laughs> this is Hack a Week Coast to Coast episode 14 from the pool. Yeah, I wish that was a pool, actually. It's been cool here, though, so. Yeah, I saw one of your videos. It was raining pretty good. Um, I wish it would rain here. It's been stupidly hot, and so... I'm at my parents' house using their pool because they're out of town, and I couldn't stand it at my house. So I'm here. Good. Good place to do a podcast. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Don't drop the laptop in the pool. God, drop the laptop in the pool. Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. So. Um, been on vacation. Yeah, a couple of couple of weeks of um, lots of adventures. Went back to New York for a. Uh, family reunion at this time of year every year i have an uncle that has been putting one on for a long time and he turned 80 this year which was pretty cool he's going to do it again next year and then he said somebody else has got to uh pick it up and organize it he's done he's done it for quite a few years so it was good seeing family and all that and um just getting out on a road trip is always fun the dogs had fun they kind of had a bonding and yeah stuck in the back seat together for you know over a week so yeah they're a little different around each other now they hang out closer to each other that's good. It's good for them. Speaking of dogs, I see a box in the background that says Thor. What is that for? That's for uh, one of the dogs, right? His, yeah. That was his uh, toy box. Ah. Yeah, the lady I got him from, she made that for him. That's they cool. Toys. He was on the bark box thing, you know, where you get like a box of stuff. You pay 25 a month and... Every month, this box comes to your door. It's got doggy treats and toys and crap in it, and so oh, that's cool. I yeah, there's all kinds of videos on YouTube, like bark box videos, people letting their dogs rip open packaging. It's pretty fun to watch. <laughs> they have a good time with it. <clears throat> but it's nice getting out, uh, kind of disconnecting a little bit too. You know, I mean, it's nice to have the cell phone handy to take pictures and you know maybe upload a, a neat little shot from out in the woods and share it on Twitter, but. It was still kind of nice to have that little bit of like second thought of, eh, well, connectivity's crap. So look at this tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just shove your phone in your pocket and forget about all that. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah. Nobody hit up all our usual places back there, antique stores that we always do. Came home with, with more stuff, like always. Yeah. Uh, I found an awesome bread dough mixer that you crank by hand. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah, it was originally patented in like 1902 or something this one it's probably from the 20s 30s yeah and uh you just crank it around and it moves the the bowl around and then there's like this kind of a spoony thing that just keeps rolling the dough so i just yeah. made bread with it again today i made some uh right. back there at the camp we were staying at <laughs> that was fun it's always cool to find like old like old tools and then like they have the patent number and you look them up and they're like ancient right like i have a pair of um like proto vice grips they're not made by like Irwin tools they're like some previous version before like vice grips came along and their patent is from like 1906 and i think they were manufactured like in 1914 and they work but they're kind of weird like they're not like the vice grips you know and then i have another pair um it's a pair of wire strippers like the kind that you see a lot where you like squeeze them and it grabs it and it pulls it off but like the patent for those is from like 1910 and the manufacturer date is like 1923 or something. And it's really cool to find that old stuff and then it still works, right? It's like a hundred years old and it still works. Oh, that's great. And you know that it was used a whole bunch before you to do a lot of things for people too. That's the other yeah. neat part about it. So now 
you're giving it life again, you know. Mm-hmm. Even right down to a little, um, I found a little pocket knife in this store. I'm always kind of watching out for them. And there's a lot of junk ones out there. It's like, you know, cheap little used watches. There's just a dime a dozen of the crap ones. But this one was pretty good. It felt good. And um, I bought it. It was only like three bucks. It's been sharpened quite a bit over the years, which is another good sign. Somebody liked it. They kept it long enough to sharpen half the blade away on the small one. So yeah. They probably broke it and then sharpened it. But still, they kept it. And it turns out it was made in at Utica Cutlery, which is in Utica, New York. And um, great big factory there. It's still in business, I believe. And it's just what you think it is, cutlery, all kinds of it. <laughs> And that's where that came from. So it was kind of neat to come home with that. Yeah. Those really cool junk stores back there. You would just love some of these. Oh, my God. They were awesome. Speaking of that, you found a radio the other day, huh? Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a uh, it's an Emerson Model 540A. And it was at Habitat for Humanity. It was 8 bucks, And um, the cord had been cut off from it. And I haven't done anything with, with... You know, I did a YouTube video the other day of just the teardown, but... No power to it or anything yet till I replace all the caps and one bad tube. And the caps are melted, so I know that the thing's been through hell. It probably got just left on and plugged in for a long time. Yeah. The side of the case is a little bit scorched. It's made out of um, Plascon, which was a predecessor to a lot of modern plastics. It was after Bakelite, but they were able to put dyes in it because it didn't turn dark. It stayed like kind of white, so they could put all these brilliant colored dyes in it and make the big this is after World War II when all that stuff in the 50s came out that were just all really nice curves, art deco, shiny, you know, plastic Yeah. Yeah. So it's worth a few bucks. It's uh, a good one on eBay. It's 350 bucks right now. Wow. And, and uh, it didn't say if it worked or not. I'll get this one working and clean it up. It'll be worth three or 400 But it's going to stay on the shelf. You know, maybe someday I'll sell it, but... Definitely put it on the shelf of vintage goodies I have. It was a good fun. How about you? Find anything in any of the flea markets, thrift stores, anything lately? Not really. You know, there was like a really good run, like after that Marie Kondo show um, appeared on Netflix. Like, I was finding stuff all the time at the thrift stores. And like, when I started thrifting maybe like 15 years ago, it was it was nonstop like cool stuff all the time. And then it kind of dwindled as like the years went by. And it got to the point where like I'd go to the thrift store and I'd have to go like five, six times before I found anything. But then like the Marie Kondo show came out and it was every time I went, there was cool stuff. But it's like tapered back off. And so I haven't found anything. Like the last thing I found at a thrift store was a dress and that was like a month ago. I haven't found any cool like any cool tech. I haven't found anything like worth tearing down in a long time, which is kind of a bummer. I mean, one of the thrift stores I, I went to, they had like one of those like 1970s electronic organs, you know, the kind that like, you know, sound very church-like, like the church, like the church like you would be playing it. There was one of those and like, I would love to have one of those because they have a really cool sound to them. But like, I don't have room for that. Like they're too big. And I, I played around with it for quite a while, but I didn't buy it because I don't have a place to put it. But no, I haven't found anything good at a thrift store in a while, which is kind of a bummer. But um, I should do like a thrift day one of these days and like hit up all the thrift stores. Cause I, I used to do that where I'd go to like a bunch of thrift stores in a whole area. Uh, I usually just go to one now that's kind of on my way home from work. So I should go hit up some of the other ones and see what's there. 
you're never going to walk in. It's just the other day I was passing by the place after lunch, and I went, nah, I'll stop in and see what's up. And there's just a bunch of crap electronics in the middle of it all. That thing was sitting there, and I was like, yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> Knew right away what it was, you know. Yeah. Mid-century uh, Art Deco plastic radio, so. Yeah. Cool. You know what I hate? Like, when, when you go to a thrift store and then you see something like that and, like, like your spirits just go up because you're like, oh, my God, what is that? What is that? And then you go over there and you're like, oh, my God. And then you pick it up and it's like, oh, it's a copy of a 1950s thing uh, in, like, 2012. And it's made out of, like, terrible plastic and it's awful. And you're like, ah, God dang it. I was so excited. But you got the real thing. So. It's the worst. Yeah, that's happened a few times there. I thought it was some vintage radio. And, you know, some little tiny, teeny, itty-bitty radio in it. Yeah. But the southern, was it south southeastern New York State, northeastern Pennsylvania, that area we were going through there one morning, and it's like we have to kind of hold ourselves back at a certain point on some of those antique stores we see some, and it's like, oh my God, if we stop, we're definitely going to take up another four cubic feet in the back of the car. You know, it's just how it goes. And. Um, we went through this one little town that had like seven or eight of them. Every one of them just packed. They were like old houses full of shit. This is the best. Those kind are just awesome. Yeah. Prices are good. When you got like four or five of them all together, <laughs> one spot, you know, and if they're, yeah. that's what we like about the one in Lowellville, New York is um, stuff is priced to move. You know, it's not like super high priced. It's like, oh, I can use this. Yeah. And it's only three bucks. I'll buy right. it. You just start a pile, you know. Right. And that's like the big difference between going to an antique store like out in the country versus going to an antique store like in the city. If I go to an antique store here in L.A., like there's plenty of them, but like things are like you're talking about a range of like $100 to like $5,000. Right. On the same item. Right. <laughs> country and it's like, oh, here's a bowl of random things and everything in it is 10 cents. You know, <laughs> here's a brass doorknob from like. 1898 and you can have it for six dollars like okay you know that's it's, it's like a completely different ecosystem out in the country i still have to think some things i bought when i was up in oregon last time there's there's some nice antique stores up in medford where i have cousins and um i just was like these things are awesome i bought them i haven't used them still i don't know what i'm going to use them for but like they'll get used eventually i guess like i got this really cool plum bob it's probably about this big. It's like solid brass or bronze. I can't tell because I didn't like bother like trying to cut it or anything. So it's a really nice plum bob and it's got like markings. It's got it's got inch markings and it's got sixteenth inch markings. Really like hefty thing. I bought that because I was like, you know, this thing is really neat. And I had been there like a year before and they had it. And I turned it down because I was like, what am I gonna do with this? But I went back a year later and it was still there and I was like, all right, like it's still here a year later, like I wanted it last time. I might as well get it, you know? <laughs> Does it still have string on it? No, no string. Just like oh. just the plain plum, plum bob. Um, some of the plum bobs they had did have string. They were like steel ones. They were like smaller, like this big. They're really like really sharp. Like the end of it was like sharp enough to be kind of like painful to put your finger on. Yeah, but really but the big brass one, that was like a big round thing. It looks like it's been dropped like a thousand times in its history. It has like so many dings that the dings are its own texture now, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a really invaluable tool to have around. It's the simplest, simplest thing, you know. It's just, you know, plum means lead. So that's what it was originally, was you know, to check plum. 
but you get you have to have something like that. Yeah. You know, unless you're using like a laser level thing, but that needs batteries. I like stuff like that, like water levels and plumb bobs. Build right. a house in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people did it before we had lasers, so you know, you don't need anything fancy. So what you been working on lately? Um, what have I been working on? Um, it's been a while since we've done one of these. I think last time we did one, I had just finished my raccoon synthesizer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my brother really liked that thing, and he asked for one for his birthday. His birthday was earlier this month. It was August 10th. And so I made him a copy, and it, it's like all the... Uh, all the electronics are the same, but I didn't have a spare like skull for him, so his synthesizer did not get a skull. <laughs> so um, I made him a copy. It's it's all electronically the same. It has it's it's arranged differently. Mine is in a cigar box of a certain shape. His is also in a cigar box, but a different shape one. His has a like a sheet of Lexan with like the knobs like mounted in the Lexan sheet. Um, and he came over the other night and He's really into uranium glass, and we were talking about antique stores. Like, that's a thing that he goes hunting for at antique stores, is he really likes uranium glass. And I wanted to give him something, like a piece of uranium glass inside of the synthesizer, but I couldn't find him one. So I kind of left, like, an open spot in the synthesizer for him, and it was like, hey, when you find something, like, let me know, come over, and we'll we'll install it. So he found a piece of uranium glass, and, and we installed it, and I, I replaced the the green LED that I put in there, I replaced it with a UV LED. So now the, the uranium glass illuminates, it phosphoresces like it's supposed to. So that was pretty fun. I think he's pretty happy with it. Um, what else? I've been working on a project for a friend of mine. He's an artist and he does a lot of, um, his art is very blues based. He does like, he paints portraits of famous blues musicians and he, um, his name is Sam Pace, by the way, if anyone wants to look him up. Um, he paints portraits of blues musicians. He also paints, like, scenery. Like, if you were, I don't know, if you were in Harlem in, like, the 20s, or if you were outside of a roadhouse in Alabama in the 30s, you know, he paints these kind of scenes. And really cool stuff. And he wanted to do something a little different, where he wanted an interactive piece. And so he built this guitar, and the guitar is kind of half turned into a roadhouse. And so like the hole, whatever you call the hole in the guitar, it's like the sound hole. I'm sure there's a proper name for it that's like better than sound hole. But <laughs> sound hole. <laughs> okay. he, he, built the, he built the roadhouse like around the sound hole and he turned the sound hole into a doorway and he put little windows. And what he wanted was for like when someone walks up to this guitar, which would be mounted on a wall, he wanted a scene from inside a roadhouse to play and so he needed a video screen to start playing a video and to play some music and so he asked me if I could help him with it and so I've put this thing together it's based on a Raspberry Pi it uses a, a little LCD screen and it uses a PIR sensor which is a something infrared I forget what the the P like pyro something infrared. I don't know PIR it, it's those little motion sensors you see on like on security lights those, and they have that little white dome on them, right? Yeah. And so I built this thing and all the Raspberry Pi does, this is kind of like a waste of a Raspberry Pi in a way because Raspberry Pis can do a lot, but 
this thing has been sentenced to specifically just play a video when it gets is that siren coming across can you hear that a little bit all right it's it's kind of loud here so um so when it detects that a person has come close with the PIR sensor, then it, it starts the video on a loop. And it's like a one and a half minute loop. And it plays the video and it plays some music to go with it. And then it just starts over again. And then if you walk away, then it turns itself off. So I've been working on that. And I need to actually like integrate that into the guitar now. Like the electronics are done, but they're just kind of sitting in a pile and they need to be put into the guitar. And then I've been working on a speedometer for my bandsaw, which is a thing that I've had kind of up in my head for at least a year. Um, and I actually have it here. So this is this is where I'm at with it. It's uh, it's really simple. It's just powered off an Arduino. This is a, an Arduino Nano Every, which is like one of the new line of Arduino. And Arduino was nice enough to send me one, like free of charge, which was cool. And... Um, this thing uses a Hall effect sensor to detect magnets that are placed around the rim of one of the wheels of the bandsaw, and it measures the time between each magnet passing the sensor. And then it uses that time to calculate feet per minute and then display it on an LCD screen. So I'm getting pretty close to finishing that. I have a little bit more to do. I have to solder some things up still, and then I have to figure out how I'm going to mount the sensor inside of the saw. But I'm like 75% of the way there. So, like, almost. So, yeah, that's what I've been working on. That's pretty cool. So you can do different metals, you know, you cut at different feed rates, right? Feet per minute. Right. So, uh, and then you calculate it by the thickness and all that jazz. So it's good to have a, a number of what that saw is really doing. It'll definitely help right. out. Right. And the whole, whole reason I need this, because, you know, if you have your, your standard bandsaw, you have your, you have the pulleys, and you can just look at a chart and see, like, if I put the belt on this position, on this pulley, and this position on this pulley, then this is the feet per minute I'm getting. Right. But um, it's a 14-inch Taiwanese wood bandsaw, and so it didn't go slow enough to cut things like steel. It'll cut aluminum, but it didn't cut. It couldn't go slow enough to cut steel. And I wanted to be able to cut steel with my bandsaw. And so uh, a year and a half, two years ago, I guess almost two years ago. I did a conversion where I took a treadmill motor, which is a big DC motor. It's a big brush DC motor. And um, so you can vary the speed by varying the voltage that goes to it, which is different than an AC motor. Like an AC synchronous motor just goes the speed it goes based on the um, frequency of the, the current that's going into it. But a DC motor, you just change the voltage and the speed changes. And a lot of treadmills use a uh, kind of a generic speed controller box. It's a, just a board. And I, it's like, I want to say it's called like the MC60. So anyhow, I did a conversion of my bandsaw where I put a treadmill motor in place of the AC motor and then adapted the, the speed controller out of, the, out of a treadmill to be the speed controller for the bandsaw. And so now I can do the speed. Yeah, it's cool. It works pretty well. Um, and I just have like a knob that I can turn. It's a potentiometer and I can turn it and I like dial the speed all the way down to zero till it stops or dial it all the way up till it's going like scary fast. Cool. Yeah. Scary well, fast is awesome. <laughs> um, but the problem is I don't know how fast it's going. Like there's no, there's no feedback. It's just like, oh, it's going really fast. And 
You can tell by how much it screams when you try to cut aluminum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so since the whole point was to cut steel, um, like a year ago, year plus ago, year, year and a half ago, something like that, I was cutting a piece of steel. And like when I was done, it was like, oh, my steel is cut. And then I tried to use it again and like it wouldn't cut. And I was like, what the heck? And then I feel the blade with my thumb and like all the teeth are worn off. Because like steel, you want to go like, I don't know, it's like 100 feet per minute or something like that. And um, 100 feet per minute is really slow. It feels really slow on a bandsaw. Like if you look at one of those horizontal bandsaws and you watch it going, like the blade is sort of just crawling around. And so that's fine. Like you just, it's a, it's a machine and you just like clamp your metal into it and like let it do its thing. But when you're like in charge of the tool and you're like manning it, like you're like, oh, this is going too slow. So like I dialed down. But it was like, oh, that seems kind of slow. Like, and I dialed it back up, and like, I don't know what speed I was actually going. Maybe like 200 feet per minute. But it was fast enough to like completely ruin my blade. And I don't want to go drive down to McMaster Car um, and pay $15 for a new blade every time I try to cut a piece of steel. So that was the impetus for this bandsaw speedometer. And um, Surprisingly, there were no like good speedometer projects on the internet. Um, I looked around. I was like, "Well, there's got to be an Arduino speedometer," and like there are, but like they kind of suck. Like, um, <laughs> I don't want to talk shit on other people's work, but like, I downloaded their sketches and I tried them, and like they were just glitchy. Like they do weird things, like getting stuck at like 55 like miles per hour always. Like. Oh, like, I don't know why, like, something in this code is wrong that it gets stuck at 55 all the time. Um, and like, oh, this one doesn't have good debouncing. This one doesn't do, and like, none of them worked. And so um, I was I was working on this at the, at the maker group that I go to every Monday. And like, I was having a lot of trouble and I was working from someone else's sketch. And I asked my friend Roger, who you can find him on Twitter, Roger Chang. Um, He's, he's great, and he is a software engineer, so he knows what he's doing. So yeah. we're looking at the code, and he's like, oh, well, like this piece sucks, so get rid of that, and this piece sucks, so get rid of that, and like we're going through, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that, and like it was like, oh, well, there's nothing left of this sketch. Like, you know? So um, I, I had to ask for a lot of his help because I'm terrible at coding, but I finally got to a place where like I have good code and it works. And this is the actual, like, this is the first code I've ever written from scratch without copying and pasting other people's work into it. And it feels kind of good, you know. Yeah. I had to get help, but it's 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 my program. Like, I designed it, and it's not just sticking other pieces of other people's programs together. And it works really good. So I'm like really excited about this project. Fun to do that. I've only done that myself on a few. Not very many at all. A lot of it's a lot of copy paste and hack it together and put in between what makes it work. You know all that. Probably quite sloppily, but got the job done. Yeah, but as long as it works, right? Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. So what about you? Besides the radio, what have you been working on? Got most of Soppy. All of Soppy. Soppy Junior. Printed, yeah. Soppy. It's so now it's about cutting. Uh, just start cutting the pieces to size and basically the assembly process. Oh, I got bearings too. Actually, this thing scaled down 66.6%. And so I did the math and went, huh, well, that comes out to a 14 millimeter wide 
or 14 millimeter diameter bearing, five millimeters wide with a five millimeter centerpiece. And so I found like 30 of them on eBay from China for eight dollars. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and they they drop in with a little bit of slop, but I'm gonna glue them in. I'm gonna drop them with some thick CA glue, give it a shot of kicker, and there they are. Plus they're all held together anyway. But. So oh. everything's there. So I'll get started on that assembly on that really soon. How many of those bearings have you checked to see like the fit? Because my friend Roger that I just mentioned, um, he bought a pack of bearings off of eBay, and like they were clearly like. These are the bearings that the bearing company was like, no, we're not using those because they don't fit like. No, exactly. They, they're, there's right. uh, ones that get kicked out. Yeah. But he found that some of them, like for his, I think he used them on Soppy. Um, some of them, like the diameter was big enough that they fit really good with a press fit and other ones were loose. So he just tried all of like the bearings until he got a set that like fit really good. So he didn't have to. So I don't know if you've gone through all of them, but. No. My, enough in there that they just fit tight without needing glue yeah there's uh you know i tried i don't know several of them they all fit a little bit loose okay. and in some of the prints they fit real loose which is just inherent in the way that the print distorted while it was printing yeah so i'm gonna run into a bit of that but no big deal and it's gonna be a lot of prototyping as i go on the motor drives and the servos the way the servos mount it was originally made for a particular servo but i've scaled it down 66.6 percent so what i'll end up doing is making a new mount for my new servo or motor and then just make that mount attached to the existing holes that are already there for the other servo no biggie so i'm just going to have to make like a different bracket for all the wheels and uh the motors and stuff but it's just some engineering it'll be fun yeah yeah and then keep adding to it as time goes by yeah. So for Soppy, what is, is it? Soppy 666? Like, what are we, what are you calling it these days? Soppy 666. Yeah. yeah. So is Soppy 666 going to be um, in first, first iteration? Is it going to be like a remote control car basically? Or is it going to be like with some like bump sensors or something yeah, to I'll, navigate I'll, itself? I think I'm going to just do it autonomous right off, right off the bat. I might add a plug-in override kind of thing with the joystick yeah like you know, roger did with his just for testing purposes yeah makes it easier because then you can stress test forward backward turn fast you know give it a ring ring it out a bit uh but mostly just have it autonomous where it's just driving around and stays away from objects maybe some bump sensors maybe add a couple of different types of sensors yeah that'll be cool yeah and eventually transmit gps location where it's at eventually it'd be neat if i could transmit coordinates to it to drive to yeah based on feedback from pictures i see in other words as much as you can emulate what's going on with curiosity where yeah. it's out there in the wild you're sitting back here somewhere manipulating where it goes based on you know the imagery it's given back to you and yeah you're figuring it out <laughs> you know one thing that um that Roger wanted to do that he never got around to was so curiosity has a drill for drilling rocks right yeah. and Roger really wanted to make a little arm and like have some kind of a drill and I was like oh dude you can go to Harbor Freight and get a um, like a cheapo Dremel like knockoff for like seven dollars or something and I was like you should totally put like a Dremel on a little arm and have it so you can drill rocks and he never got around to it but that could be you that does that you could put the drill arm 
Yeah, you can you, know, you can do one of the wand things, right? You just mount the Dremel back in the body, and then the wand is, you know, yeah. I'll, put, I'll put Canada on the arm. <laughs> the Canada arm. No, I wouldn't do that. I would not <laughs> Never. Um, I had something interesting happen the other day. I ran into this guy here at lunchtime um, that he kind of heads up the Moore County Arts Council. You know, okay. coordinating art shows and whatnot. And there's a uh, a place here called the Campbell House, and it's this um, this old house that was in Southern Pines by some rich family. It's a great big place, and now they do art openings there. Um, That's cool. All kinds of stuff. A few times a year, they have different ones, and it raises money for the Arts Council, and then they get to host more events and do other stuff like that. All about you know exposing people to art, right? So yeah. giving artists a place to show off their stuff. So I saw him the other day, and um, I said, "Hey Ray, how you doing?" I saw you like at a party several, you know, I guess a few months back. You know, you're, we're, you're showing you pictures of Audio Man. You said you wanted to put it in a show. Said, there's one coming up in September, isn't there? And he said, um, "He said no, there's a show in September, but it's a private one. How'd you know about that?" I said, "I didn't. I just guessed that there was a show." And he goes, "No, that's a different show. It's private." And then I showed him some of the stuff I did the other day with that that leftover 3D printing stuff where I put it in the oven and just melted it into these cool-looking shapes. Oh, I didn't see that. I, I must have missed this. I didn't see this one, Carter. Check these out. You know how you've always got leftover a box of plastic bits, pieces, failed prints, leftover rafts, things like that? Yeah. I took those, and I just laid them on to oh. where that's cool. And then put them on a piece of tinfoil and then put them in the oven on like 450 for about, I don't know, like maybe three or four minutes. Yeah. And it just all kind of sticks together. Those are cool. They're kind of neat looking. They look edible. You should, do, you should write a blog post or do a video or something on those. People would love to do that. That's yeah. really cool. I got to do a little video on that one. This is one of my favorites. I like this one a lot. That is awesome. Yeah, and so I showed him that pictures of that stuff and a, a few other things that we've done. And he went, he just all of a sudden went, oh, my God, like this. He goes, I have the coolest idea. I'm like, the coolest idea next spring when they do the new, the Palestras Festival, which is the, uh, it's the festival for um, Weymouth Woods. And uh, the Palestras Festival is for the longleaf pine. Palestras pinus, I think, is the Latin name for the longleaf pine. And they had not done this festival for a few years, but they're bringing it back. And um, he wants to have the stuff that Lisa and I do be the exclusive show for that week-long event, which is way cool. So we get, like, our very own show to do stuff in, all the recycled stuff. He wants to call it recycled and then have some text written by us that tie in what we've done with how that can help, you know, the environment and you're recycling something that's one less thing in the landfill. What does it mean when this plastic isn't in the landfill? You know, some little write-up like that on each one of the pieces of art, so that it ties it into environmentalism and all that. And uh, and we get to put stuff on sale. And yeah, you want my audio for twenty-five hundred bucks? Audio man's yours. <laughs> That's awesome. I would put an outrageous price on it. There's no way I would sell that thing for any less than that. Right. I love my sweat and toil in that thing. Right. <laughs> it's art. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but anyway, we're gonna do that. So that's fun. That was like a really exciting, fun thing coming up for us. <clears throat> um, it was like a year ago that um, 
my maker group that I go to, we had a booth at the LA Mini Maker Fair, and I brought my birds. And it, for people that aren't familiar with my birds, I just call them the birds. It, it's kind of a there are these two bird skulls. They're real bird skulls, and their their jaws are actuated by a pair of servos. And the servos live down in a wooden housing, and they're all under a bell jar, and there's a proximity sensor. So if someone like when they're when they're just on, they just sort of idly chatter like they're kind of talking to each other. And then if someone gets close to them, they get alarmed and like they squawk and like their beaks go wild. And I had that at the Mini Maker Fair, and this guy came up to me. Um, he and his wife came up to me, and they really liked it. And then they left. And then he came back like two minutes later and was like, "My wife really likes that. I want to get in touch with you for her birthday. I really want to like to buy one of your pieces for her." And I was like, "Okay." So like fast forward like seven months or something. I had forgotten about him, and then he messages me on Twitter, and he's like, "Hey, remember me? I was at the Maker Fair. Yada yada yada. My wife's birthday is coming up." I really want to buy your bird skulls. And I was like, okay. And he was like, how much? And I was like, oh shit, I don't even know. Like I've, I've only ever sold one piece of art in my life and I sold it for like $60. And I was like, okay. So I talked to a friend of mine. Um, her name's um, Lauren. And she, uh, she said, price it for something outrageous. Like pick an outrageous price, whatever seems outrageous. Like that's the right price. You put a lot of work into it. So pick something that seems ridiculous. So I told him a thousand dollars, and he was like, "Ooh, like, nope, like, sorry, like, you know, I that's not quite what I was thinking." But thank you. And I was like, "God damn it!" I know he's rich because like he told me a little bit about himself, and he, and this dude has he is, he's a producer of video games, and he's produced some really big video games. So this guy has money, and he wouldn't pay me my thousand dollars for my birds. And I was like, "All right, fuck you." Like. <laughs> <laughs> You should have done the, you know, the psychology of sales. You should have said nine eighty five sixty, right? For you today nine eighty four. But then you know, like the the silly thing about humans is that like, you could lower the price and sell it, or you could raise the price and sell it. Like and be like, oh well, you know that was my low price, but you know since you don't want it, I'm gonna be selling it for three thousand. Then he'd be like, oh shit, I need to buy it. It's, it's worth right. three thousand. <laughs> Oh God, it's crazy. Yeah, pricing art is funny like that. I just always like put a crazy, outrageous price. You can't go wrong. What's yeah. the worst that can happen? Somebody buys your art. You just made right. bank. You know, say bye bye and put the money in the bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I want to do uh, on that hanging TV sculpture, I've been trying to work this out on this one. This little bugger. Ah, it's a round one. And it's got, see the two wires twisted together, orange and brown? Yeah. That, that's power. Put that on, everything lights up. And then yeah. you, like, if you just touch this and just, like, you know, bump the signal, disturb it, you'll see it do something on the screen. It'd be neat if I could get, like, a audio waveform. But, you know, you need a time-based scanning right. across right. first. If you don't have the time-based, nothing happens. But... I was able to hook up audio to one of these and just get the screen to just kind of do this weird stuff. Like, you know, every time somebody talks, yeah. it kind of jiggles around and does some weird shit. It'd be fun to stick that in there somewhere, too, so that all the ambient noise in the room and you talking is another thing of feedback that you're now seeing a representation here yeah. of your audio as some weird thing, too, because um, 
yeah, that little piece I'm going to put, I think I'm going to put it inside a cage and then I'll still have to put it inside plexiglass because it's just tough. Yeah, it's in a cage. If you bump it, what if something shorts out against the cage and somebody gets there and says that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> At least from hell. So, yeah. yeah, in a cage and also in a box. But I want it in the cage because I want the mesh to be in front of the camera so when now you see yourself, you're, you're, it's this juxtaposition where you're seeing yourself from inside a cage, but you're outside the cage yeah. looking at yourself yeah. inside the cage. Yeah. yeah. He's looking at you outside the cage. And on and on and on. So, yeah, art, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, I would say for for your like video input, um, look up this thing called a chav, and this is not like the British chav. It's um, C H A V, and it stands for cheap hackable audio visual. And my friend Naomi told me about this. Naomi is really into um, modular synthesizers, and she has started integrating like video components into her modular synthesizers. And so a CHAV or a CHAV is a really, really, really simple way to create video synthesis. And all you do is you go on eBay and you buy these, um, they're, they're uh, a VGA signal generator. And so, you know the like the test pattern, like the t the prototypical test yeah. pattern that's got the color bars, right? right? So it's a little board. It's like this big, and they're like five six bucks on eBay, and all they do is generate those test patterns. And if you look up CHAV online, you'll find there's a blog, and his name is is Jan or Jan. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. He did some. He developed this thing, and you basically just tap into the red, green, and blue for the for the VGA. And then you send it to a 40106 chip that acts as an oscillator. And so then you're just like kind of force feeding a signal into the VGA thing. And then it outputs it outputs patterns that like kind of like they turn into like checkerboards or swirly things all over the screen. And um, for your case, you're going to need composite video. So you just like put a composite video adapter. But they make really cool like patterns and shapes and colors and depending on how like what you hook up to it and how, if you dial knobs and things you get like color mixing and they look really cool and you could easily like integrate a microphone for each of the channels or for one of the channels and then have it react and have those patterns change as someone's talking or ambient noise is happening i think that'd be really fun it's something that i want to try when i have some a few of my projects off the table and then lens here too that will probably work good on like you're trying to do the thing with the lens and see if i can Look at the camera and show yeah. you. See the lens there; it is yeah. make it really giant. Right. So watch. You it's set some tight. lenses like that. Yeah. So flip it around, and you get like a different effect. Also, if you. Yeah, this one's pretty. This this is only slightly asymmetrical. This one. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, this is part of the condenser. Cool. All right. So. My brother was telling me a little note about magnifying glasses. He had they had something hanging up, like one of those little crystal things hanging from their mirror. And uh, they smelled something warm one day, and he looked he smelled like this little wisp of smoke. And over on the windowsill, the sun was just right. It was going through one of those things. It was actually burning the paint on his windowsill. <laughs> it, like it kind of makes you wonder, God, could you start a fire with a crystal? Yeah. <laughs> I love crystals. One set my house on fire. 
few years ago, I was at my parents' house where I am right now, and there was an eclipse going on. It was a partial eclipse, but I went into the bathroom, and my mom has some kind of crystal thing hanging in the window, and the it was it was in the afternoon, so like the eclipse was coming in sideways through the window, and the crystal had split up the eclipse, and so in the bathroom there was like 50 eclipses on the wall. And, wow. and each each facet was acting like a prism. So like each eclipse, it was the shape, like the crescent shape of the eclipse, but in rainbow. So it was like 50 rainbow eclipses in the bathroom. Holy cow. Oh, what it's so cool. There's no drugs involved whatsoever. <laughs> whatsoever. Amazing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was super lucky that I walked in there. Like I wouldn't ever even have thought to walk in there. Yes. I saw this thing the other day that you might have already seen these. The pyro pet. Have you seen those? No. What is that? It's a candle. It looks like a cat. It's kind of oh, um, oh all polygon oh. out. And then inside it is the skeleton of the cat in just a stamped out metal. So as you burn it, the skeleton left it left behind. And yeah. I saw it the other day. And Lisa said, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. you got to tell, you gotta tell right. Emily about this. You did. You tagged me on Twitter about this, I think, yeah, right? You, yeah, yes. You with real bones, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's probably a good it. idea. I should do that. Like yeah, that'd be you cast like a candle around it, and as you burn it, the real bones start to show up. Yes, I have um, an excess of bones. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. like okay, wait a minute. All-time statement of the year on any podcast we've done. I have excess of bones. It's oh, true. That is so good. That's good for you. It's good. You'll yeah. Come later in life. You know, like you come across like a skeleton or, or an animal, and then you know it, it's a raccoon or it's a deer or it's whatever, and you find a few bones in it that are really neat, and you use them, but it's like. You still have like 50 toe bones and like 17 ribs to use. And so I have like four bags of bones up in my closet. And I'm like, what am I going to do with these? Like, there's so many of them. And they're just, I hope that like, I hope that the police never raid my house because like, there's going to be a lot of questions, you know? <laughs> oh, you know what? I know what else is cool. If you made those, you know how much you could sell them for? <laughs> a lot. $1,500. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, crazy price because yours has real bones. Right, right. This bullshit plasma cut metal. <laughs> yeah. No, people probably would totally buy that. Like, burn down this candle and get yourself a real animal bone inside. That's like, it's like the adult version of some kind of thing for kids, you know? Like, yeah. your, you get your, like, your prize when you get to the bottom of your cereal box. But, like, you're burning your candle to you get an animal bone. Do that as a kid. I beg my mom. He's like, just buy this, buy this, buy this cereal. It's got a free thing inside. And then on the way home, I'd be in the back quietly trying to dig to the bottom of the box. I had that shit down to a science of how to get to the bottom of the box without fucking up all the cereal. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then it was like, all right, done with this. Put this in the, in the pantry and I won't eat it. <laughs> that was a... Um... That was a an era that I missed out on because by the time like I was a kid, um, like you couldn't get anything cool in a cereal box. It was always like save up fifty UPCs and then you get like some T-shirt, or like at best like there'd be like oh there's a real prize in here 
and then you'd rip it open and it's like a stupid stamp or like a sticker or like a, a magnifying glass made out of plastic like this big that you can't magnify anything with. And it was like, that's the prize? Like, you can burn an ant with this. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucked. They just stopped doing that. Like in the 80s, 90s, it just sort of went away, you know? Yeah. Didn't work anymore. Right. Right. Well, it was who they were marketing to, you know. And I mean, when I was growing up, they were marketing directly to me Saturday morning on the Saturday morning cartoons. That's what all the cereal commercials were. Yeah. Mom, we gotta buy this one. It's got nine grams of sugar per <laughs> cubic centimeter. <laughs> and like the the cartoons were actually about the cereal. Like it was like the yeah. event of Captain Crunch, like fighting some vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't eat those. <laughs> Oh. Well, I got uh, I got a package today. Cool. Nice bubble wrap package. Gonna open this up in a video this week. It's from Elegoo. Ooh. E L E G O O. I have bought a few things from Elegoo. I've bought their Arduino Nano knockoffs, and um, oh, they they they're pretty good. Like, you know, it's yeah. but they're like pretty good quality for what they are. I cracked this open and went through it real quick. I'm going to do like a, you know, sort of unboxing thing here. But they they sent me an email about a week ago. I said, you want to, you know, essentially we'll send you stuff, do videos. Mm. I said, sure, why not? So they sent me their RC car thing, which is you can control it on the phone. You can control it with infrared. It'll do a, it'll follow a black tape line or yeah. it can drive around with autonomous. So that'll be fun. I'll put that together. And, um, you know, just do the whole thing with it, and who knows? I might be able to salvage some of the um, try out some of the sensors and stuff on Soppy if I like them. Just buy one of those or get it from them for free, <laughs> and put it on Soppy. You know, once they see that. So, yeah, it's always fun getting free stuff. Do some video, so that's coming. Cool. Um, getting a free thing. I actually got a couple of free things. So, did you see this? Um, did you see this pixel purse thing that yes. like was kind of, yeah so yeah. for people that don't know there's this thing called the pixel purse and it's this really hideous plastic pink purse that you can get on amazon and i don't know how much longer they're going to be available but it's pink and it has a big led panel on the side and i think that it came like it developed as a product on some british reality show for like i don't know for like inventors like come up with a product like over the period of, of like the course of the season right Anyhow, these things are awful. <laughs> They're the most ugly purse you've ever seen in your life. And they were originally selling for like 60 bucks. And someone, it might have been Big Clive. It, I don't know who originated it. But someone was like, hey, these things are kind of terrible. But like there's a big LED panel in them. And Geek Mom Projects on Twitter, her name's Deborah. She bought one. And then like everyone started buying them. And then someone from Twitter bought one for me and had it sent to my house. So I have a... A, a really ugly purse sitting in my house and <laughs> so awful like it looks like leather but it looks like pleather leather but it's not even leather it's not even pleather it's hard plastic like molded to the shape of leather with like fake zippers molded into it it's it's just like it's it's grotesque but someone sent me one to tear down and um brian lau or low i don't know how you pronounce his name it's l-o-u-g-h <laughs> Lough. 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 Like Lough. I watched some of his videos. It's like Brian okay. Lough. Okay. Cough. Yeah, like cough. 
Okay, so Brian Loth, he saw that I got one, and he actually makes a specific board for controlling that LED panel because the LED panel is a stock LED panel that they use in a lot of things. And so he is sending me one of those. And so I'm going to have a video on that pretty soon whenever that board arrives because it allows you to plug the LED panel directly into an ESP32 without doing a bunch of soldering. So I'm looking forward to that. He's used this thing for doing his Tetris clock. I don't know if you've seen his Tetris clock. Yes. That is such a cool clock. That's one of the coolest clocks I've seen in years. That's really yeah. If if people haven't seen it, it you know it's the Tetris blocks and they fall they fall from like the sky on the screen, and they arrange themselves to like build the letters or the numbers of the time. So like every time the time changes, like new blocks fall down and they like build like 4:22 p.m. and it's really freaking cool. So he's sending me one of those to play with. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, pretty like, a bit of coding on that, actually, when you think about it. Right, right. Uh, like, you know, I couldn't code that. No, I don't know how he did it. That's cool. It's pretty neat. Um, I wanted to say, since you brought up RC cars, I was at the Hackaday LA meetup this week, and there was a guy, they always have, like, community announcements where regular folks can get up and talk for two minutes about whatever they're working on. And this one guy is, is building this thing that's sort of... Um, real life Mario Kart. So it's like augmented reality Mario Kart. And um, they have a little thing that you like plug your phone into that makes your phone into like a controller and you have a little car and the car has a little uh, Wi-Fi cam on it and the car is controlled by Wi-Fi by the controller you attach to your phone. And so like you actually go with your friends and you like set up an area like in someone's living room or in their driveway or at the park on the asphalt and you all have your actual real cars, your little electric cars, and you drive around a racetrack, and like you're looking at the screen of your phone, and so it, it does the augmented reality thing where it lays out the racetrack for you. So you're driving just on a big sheet of asphalt, right? But it shows you like where the track is because you're doing augmented reality. But then it's got all the stuff like like Mario Kart has, like the bananas and the oil slicks and the missiles, and like if like if someone hits your car with an oil slick, like in the game, your actual car that's actually driving loses control and like <laughs> spins out. And I was like, this is so freaking cool. Like how freaking cool is that? Like, it's like Super Mario Simulator, it sounds like then. Right, yeah. it's like Super Mario Simulator, but like brought into the real world. Like yeah. this is what, like the first like use of augmented reality I've seen where I was actually excited about it. Because usually it's like, oh, well, you can walk around this park and, like, it'll pop up little messages to tell you about this historic event that happened here. But this is, like, a really good integration of, like, you know, because usually, like, augmented reality, it, it's kind of just, like, they don't bridge the gap between reality and the augment very well. And this thing really, like, bridges it. Like, you're using the augmented reality in the real world and the augmented reality is affecting the real world, which is so cool. Oh. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah, wish I could remember what the name of his project was. I would plug it, but I, I don't remember what it was called. But, yeah. I thought I saw something about a, somebody making that um, Super Mario Kart. It might have been on Hackaday a while back. It could have been. A little mention of it or something. It's possible. Yeah. But I've been seeing something about it. <clears throat> Speaking of cars, I got one at work that's um, quite a project. It's a uh, Porsche Carrera 4S. Um, somebody put a stereo in it, a shop that does car stereos, put a stereo in it, and the wire harness cooked down into the dash pretty bad. Oh, no. 
And so he went back to them, and they more or less just said, well, piss off. We need forensic evidence to prove it was us. <laughs> How typical, right? And so they took it to Porsche. They tore it apart. They tore all the dash apart, everything, told them it would be ten grand uh, to replace the entire wire harness. So then he heard about me and brought it. And um, it's quite a project. I've got, like, a ganglion of wires about an inch and a quarter in diameter where there's a section of them about the size of my finger that are just all stuck together. <laughs> they're not necessarily dead shorted, but you got to go through and check all of them, right? So yeah. Yeah. I've got another section of harness about two feet long that will splice in in that bad section. So you know, if you've ever seen the episode of Star Trek, the original one, where McCoy has to put Spock's brain back in his head, that's what I feel like. I'm connected all these nerve endings. They're like, oh, my God, there's so many. In that episode, though, McCoy stands under this machine that, you know, kind of goes, does that dramatically. Ah, oh, ah, ah. He's like, oh, I see it now. You know, he knows how to do the surgery, right? Yeah. But it's got a time limit. So he does it. You know, Spock's okay and all that. But as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm McCoy. And it's, <laughs> I got to bring his brain back. So that's going to be a hell of a project. Um, yeah, yeah going to pay a lot. I, I quoted the guy like upwards of two grand to do that, but okay. better than 10. <laughs> right. right. A lot better than 10. Yeah. So that's a biggie. It's nice having this little electronics workbench I have at work too. And, uh, you know, a decent soldering station. It's the first time I've really had something like that since I've been working on cars. And so um, super handy. I just yeah. don't think electrical. I just work on this bench. It's got nice lighting and Everything I need right on one bench. So that's pretty cool. Cool. Yep. So, you know, some of my projects are projects at the business. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and wrapped up a few in the last week. It was good. I see another doggy walking around. Yeah, um, there's two of them. That one's Sage. Cattle dog. Yes. She's, um, she's cattle dog and Australian shepherd mix, but she looks mostly cattle dog. Yeah. She's got a, uh, she had a sister that my parents also adopted, and that dog, even though they were from the same parent, the, her sister looked a lot more Australian Shepherd than cattle dog. Um, but yeah, she's kind of a wild animal. She's old now, but she's she's very much like a wild animal. You know, she like, you know, most dogs don't go around eating animals, but like, like if she could find a skunk and kill it, she would not only kill it, but she would eat it. And like, if she can find a lizard and kill it, she will eat it. Yeah. And, my parents have um, fruit trees, and like the dog would get up on its hind legs and pull the fruit off of the tree and eat the fruit, and then like puke up like ten plum stones onto the grass. But right. like she got the fruit, so yeah, she's like totally like a wild animal. Um, she could like when she was younger, she totally you could probably have like thrown her in the woods and she would have just survived. This other one who just walked by, he is um, he is a very sweet dog, but he he's like he's autistic or something like I don't say that lightly, but he really has like the characteristics. <laughs> like he doesn't know how to interact with people really well. Like he's really, he's really nice if you like comfort him and he doesn't get aggressive, but he just is always kind of like overwhelmed by everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And he, he's out wandering. So that's Cairo. And then the Australian catalog is Sage and they're both out wandering. Um, since my parents are out of town, the dogs are locked inside all the time, and so they're enjoying that I'm here because they get to go wander around the yard. Nice. Yeah. Ever jump at the pool? 
<laughs> you know, when they were younger, the Australian cattle dog loved to be in the pool. And if you took like a tennis ball and you threw it and you like threw it in the middle of the pool, she'd go running and she would just leap. And she'd do like one of those leaps like dogs can do where they just fly like 15 right. feet. Right. And she would leap. And like as she was leaping, she'd like course correct so that her mouth was headed straight for the ball. She'd like splash into the water with her mouth like right on the ball. But um, Cairo, the autistic one, like he'll stand on the little step right here that's like got three inches of water and like he'll stand on that if it's a hot day, but he does not want to go in the water. Like he he freaks out if he's in the water. So um, and he's very leery of the pool because like he's afraid that people are going to make him go in the pool. So he, he'll walk around it, but he kind of stays away from it as best he can because he doesn't want to have to go in there. And like some of that's my fault because when I was like younger, I would just take him and throw him in the pool. I just like <laughs> I just pick him up and just chuck him. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Just yeah. chuck him. It'll be fine. Trauma's good. <laughs> he can swim. He just doesn't like it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, funny. Cairo, the autistic one. That's his uh, Indian name. <laughs> yes. Yep. The autistic one. It's okay. <clears throat> Being autistic is not necessarily a bad thing. No, not at all. He's a wonderful dog. He's one of my favorite dogs. He's he's great. He just like he's weird. Sometimes he'll sit he'll sit like ten feet away from you and just stare at you. And you'll look over and he'll just be staring at you. And he'll <laughs> stare at you for like twenty minutes. And you'll be like, "What are you doing?" And then he like snaps out of it and he'll be like, "Oh," and he'll walk over to you. Or like he'll be like, "What are you doing?" And then he'll look at you and then he'll just like slink away all slow with his tail between his legs and go hide behind the chair <laughs> what is this dog doing dogs are great i love them <clears throat> I, uh, I want my own dog well yeah yep. well um i think we're wrapping it up yeah we're catching yeah. up yep from the pool yes the pool in la <laughs> no soldering going on there no, not not right now. That was that was earlier today, and uh, yeah, I should just not solder until like December because it's too hot for that these days. <laughs> I just schedule one massive soldering session. All right, I'll just hold everything off until winter. All right, no problem there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Things are going pretty good on the house around here too. The painting is coming along. Guy that we got here is awesome. He does a real good job. So, <clears throat> and I'm taking care of some of the other stuff. So coming along. Cool. Yep. Do you guys have a um, uh, an ET ETD a, a time of departure set for the house sells, and then we start shopping for where the next one is. Yeah. So, just as it happens. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is exciting. Yeah, no, we just kind of once a week peruse over what's available out there just to keep a pulse on it. You never know what could come up. You know, maybe you can swing something to grab a place. That, yeah, I started looking for uh, for houses again because I really want to buy a house. And I started looking again this week, and I was like, oh, I can't afford any of this. And I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna start looking for lofts. You know, a loft would work for me. But like, oh my God, the lofts here in LA, like, the price range is like five hundred fifty thousand to like one and a half million and I was like all right I guess that's, that's not that's, an option either that's crazy expensive yeah wow in like New York City yeah so my friend was like oh just buy your own warehouse and convert it yourself and I was like I don't know if I can do that but I started looking and I was like nope 
I, even if it was allowed, like buying a warehouse is like seven million dollars. So I guess I'm not <laughs> buying a warehouse. It's not gonna happen. No. Well, yeah. we'll catch you, I guess, on um, Twitter. And yep. um, for all you listeners out there, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Hackaweek. And Emily is? M-L-E online. M-L-E underscore online. Also, Emily's uh, Electric Oddities on YouTube. Yes. And you can go there and see my new video about a musical Tesla coil I built. And also, my... Um, my what do you call them? My, my answering machine tapes that I got off of Amazon that I bought for a project and they had old recordings on them. And so I digitized them and put them to music. So you can listen to that if you want to just chill out. That is a great track. I listened to it yesterday. There's some really interesting little tidbits on there. I love that. It's like little snapshots of people's lives that you can like, fill in the blanks, you know? Yeah. I spent this morning digitizing the remaining five of them, and I will be putting out some more videos like that. So, and they're not all of the Jaegers going on vacation in California. So, you will <laughs> see other people doing other things on right. these tapes. <laughs> and then, of course, I have Hack a Week uh, TV on YouTube. Just uploaded one the other day, and uh, go check that out. Um, and more coming up with this Elegoo stuff. So, I guess that's about it. Yeah. I'll see you next week or the week after or whatever the hell we feel like it again. Right. <laughs> All right. They're going to jump in the pool and cool off. Yeah. Till next time. Bye. Keep on hacking.